Welcome to Critical Value, the podcast from the Urban Institute that explores issues of significance for research, policy, and people. I'm your host, Justin Milner. Today, we're talking about savings, credit, and the road to financial well-being. While the United States remains the wealthiest country in the world, a lot of us still struggle with our finances. Nearly a third of Americans say they don't have emergency savings that will last more than six months. And one in four Americans say they have no emergency savings at all. 46% of us don't have enough money to cover a $400 emergency. I don't believe that, James. I'm sorry. But half the population of America can't get together 400 bucks. You kidding? And while you may not want to believe it, those numbers are accurate. Another recent Urban Institute study found that 40% of U.S. adults report they had trouble meeting at least one basic need in 2017. And basic needs are basic. They include things like food, healthcare, housing, or utilities. In other words, almost half of all adults are struggling with the things that we all need to get through the day. Some of these folks may be dealing with an unexpected financial emergency, a car accident, a job loss, or a sudden trip to the ER. Without a safety net to fall back on, these events can be financially devastating and have ripple effects on families and even whole communities. So the question is, for families that find themselves having a hard time meeting basic needs, what are some of the first key steps to get moving down the road to greater stability and even opportunity? Let's start with a definition of what financial health looks like. So we can think about financial health as having three key dimensions. That's Carolyn Ratcliffe, a senior fellow at the Urban Institute. So first is ability to manage their daily finances. Clearly very important that people can pay their bills and pay them on time. The second is being resilient to shocks. So when the car breaks down or there's a drop in income, you've got a safety net there that you can draw on. And third is ability to pursue opportunity. So now we're thinking about long-term growth and moving up the economic ladder to start a business or buy a home. But it can even be getting that vehicle, that reliable car, to get to a job across town or outside of town. So financial health is about the near term and being able to weather surprise expenses. But It's also about the long-term and being able to check the big boxes, buying a house, owning a car, getting the new job. For the rest of the episode, we're going to look at two key ways to improve financial health, saving and getting access to credit. Saving money as a strategy may seem sort of obvious, like more money is better than less money. But overall, Americans really struggle saving to protect against the unknown. And it's not just those on the margins. I want to make the point first that this is not just a low-income issue, that this is very much a middle-income issue and to some extent a high-income issue. If we look at a very low level of savings, say $250 in savings, and ask what share of people don't have that, about a third of people don't have that much in emergency savings to deal with an emergency. The good news is that building even a relatively small bank of savings can make a big difference. We looked at the data. What we found is that people with as little as $250 to $750 in savings, that that can reduce economic hardship 
when they have a drop in income. So what does that mean? So having as little as $250 to $750 in savings reduced the likelihood of missing a mortgage or rent payment, missing utility bills, being evicted, and having to go on government assistance as compared with people with no savings. Knowing that you have a cushion means less to worry about, and the sense of security that comes from having money in the bank can affect family stability over the long run. We've done some other research where we evaluated a savings program targeted at low-income people, and we found that this program helped people save an average of $700, an increase in $700 in their savings, and we found lower levels of financial stress. So if we're thinking about families dealing with all that they have with children, that this stress can ripple through to other decisions that they make and on to children. So the evidence is pretty clear. Mo money does not equal mo problems. No doubt having a savings buffer is a good idea, but saving up is not the only way to find more financial stability. Ideally, what we want to see is that someone is saving and building credit at the same time. That's Ricky Lois, co-founder and CEO of Working Credit NFP and an Urban Institute and Tolly Fellow. Working Credit is a nonprofit organization that partners with companies to help their employees improve credit stores and their financial circumstances. And Ricky is all about helping people make credit work for them. So if you think about wanting to buy a home, you are going to need that down payment, right? But you're also going to need a good credit score to get a good interest rate. Same thing with a car. If you can put some money down, anything. It's great to have both things going on at once. In an emergency, you want to have savings. We all know that that emergency could be bigger than your savings. And so if you need to do some borrowing, you want to then be able to borrow at low rates and not kind of inflated rates. So you you want to have both. And ideally, you don't have to use credit, but in case you do, you want to make sure that you have a strong score. Okay, but let's hold up a second because I'm not totally clear on what credit means. Ricky? Credit is really your reputation as a borrower. And the only reason we have a credit system is because we no longer can say, you know, do you know Ricky? Is she, you know, can I, can I trust her? Cause she's going to take these products out of my store and, and pay me later. Is she going to really pay me later? And someone can say, I have no Ricky. I know she'll pay you or, or I know Ricky and I know she'll never pay you. The way we do it in this country is we have three bureaus, Experian, Equifax, and TransUnion, and they function basically to collect information about, uh, about us. And then everybody kind of buys into a system like this because you, what you get, what you give, right? So everybody who like lenders will send information to the bureaus because the next time some stranger comes to borrow, they want to be able to get a borrower. Like they want to be able to get the information back and find out my reputation. So, right. The credit bureaus collect all of this information and then turn it into a single score. And scores range from 300 to 850. The higher the score, the better the interest rates that you have access to when you take out a loan or apply for a credit card. Let me say this, that if you if you go and you want to buy, I'm going to say a car, I can check your credit and I will give you a competitive rate and that will be good for you, right? If you don't have a credit score, I will not be able to, I'll either not sell you that car at all or I'll sell it to you at a, at, for, with a really high interest rate because I'm taking risk. So let's mark it down. Having a high credit score is another key marker on the way to financial health. In fact, not having good credit can actually make for higher interest rates on loans and higher expenses overall. But what does the process of getting a high credit score look like? Well, the first step is to build a credit history. 
Ricky has found a lot of people are missing out on the chance to build that history. As it turns out, you know, and this is the biggest aha for me, very good money managers who pay all of their monthly bills on time could have no score. And here's why. If you pay your rent and your cable and your utilities on time, your medical bills on time, your school, you're paying for your kid's school on time. None of that actually generates a score. And so often you hear people say, oh, if you want a good credit score, pay your bills on time. But in fact, not all of your bills report to the credit bureaus. So they're just trees falling in the woods and nobody's hearing them. So as it turns out, the only way you can generate a credit score is if you have at least one product that reports monthly payment information to the credit bureaus. And there are really only two extremely reliable products that do that. One is a credit card and the other is an installment loan. Much of working credit's work in Chicago has focused on bringing this information to people in low-income areas. They show people how to build a credit score if they don't have one or improve their subprime score. On the south and west sides of Chicago, we find out that 84% of the population has either no score or a low score. What we've learned is that for people who are good money managers, if you tell them the rules, they will use them well and they will get good scores. And so this is what we've been doing for years at Working Credit is working with people who, if the norms of their community were, were and the vendors in their community look different and the information was more available, they would have outstanding credit scores. When Ricky meets with people, she talks about three really important steps they should take. If you want to build credit, you got to do these three things. One, you have to have a credit card or a loan, something that starts your credit history. You have to either get a credit card or you have to get a loan. Two, you've got to pay on time. Missed payments will knock your score down quickly. Once you have a credit card or a loan, an installment loan that reports, they kind of have to be your priority in terms of on-time payment. Three is the 30% rule. You have to stay below 30% of the limit at all times. When Ricky talks with people of all income levels, she finds there's a lot of misperceptions about the credit system. She cites three myths about credit that people hold. First, your income has nothing to do with your score. It's very funny when I sometimes talk to more affluent people and they'll say the credit scoring system is so unfair. I make $150,000 a year. I make a million dollars a year. I have three homes and I have a terrible score. And I think, no, that's the greatness of the credit scoring system, right? They don't care that you make a lot of money or have three homes. What they care about is one thing. Did you pay back the money you borrowed as you said you would? And they don't care if it's paying back $5,000 or $5. It's the act of paying someone back, as you said you would, that generates a score. I would say the second myth is that it's intractable. Bad credit is intractable. I did something wrong 10 years ago, and I'll never recover. I don't make any money, and I'll never have good credit. And the fact is that it's a highly elastic system. Third myth is that if you pay all your bills on time, you will have good credit. And that's, that's, that's pretty important because we did a study, actually, of the people we were working with in Chicago on the south and west sides, and 62% were actually great money managers. And by that, I mean that they paid all their bills on time, but the vast majority had no score. Besides helping people build a good credit history and getting them access to better interest rates, credit cards can also be a buffer during emergencies when people don't have savings. Well, I would say to you, if you're on your way to work and your car breaks down, 
and you need to get to a meeting, right? One of two things will happen. If you have a credit card, you'll take it out of your pocket. You'll read the numbers on that card. Someone will come and get you and you can then take a cab to work. And you you might not have had any cash and you might not have had savings. You got to work. You didn't lose your job. And employers can also benefit when their employees have good credit, which is why some employers now offer financial coaching as part of their employee benefits packages. Employers typically know or have a sense if their employees are struggling financially because they're excellent employees, but they can't, they often have to call in and say, I can't, I can't come in. Why? Because the car broke down. The car is like a huge thing that affects the employer too, right? Because now the shift is starting and, and they don't have a full team. You might be a home health aide going to meet someone who has dementia and you can't show up. So it matters tremendously if your employee, to the point about a credit card, is walking around and has a credit card with some available credit on it and can survive an emergency and still get to work and do their jobs. So someone may seem irresponsible, but in fact, they just don't have that buffer. Beyond just being able to weather emergencies, it's important for people to build up their financial health in the long term. And this is where financial coaching and counseling programs like Ricky's can make a big difference. These programs work well when they meet people where they are, whether it's on site, at their job, or integrated into local services. When we think about programs at the local level, we want to think about them not as sitting in isolation, but integrated into other public programs. So if you've got a workforce development program, people are looking for work, perfect time to talk to them about what financial product they're using. Is it a bank? Is it a credit union? Is it better to use a high quality prepaid card? What's your budget? How are you going to save? How are you going to manage your finances? So really thinking and taking the opportunity to integrate these types of financial coaching and counseling programs into existing services. And these programs can have a real impact on the lives of families. What's most amazing about it is how quickly people can turn it around. So what has been stunning to me since we started working credit is there's a large cohort of people we're serving who really just didn't know. And so if you look at the data, they improve rapidly. You'll see within six months, people moving from a subprime score to a prime score, people from going from no score to a prime score. But it's important to note that access to credit doesn't necessarily help everybody. It's not the right approach for people who are already dealing with a lot of debt. Giving people access to credit when they're already struggling with debt can make things worse off. That we need to be careful about how we package that for people. That if I already can't meet my obligations, then giving me more credit isn't going to help me. Because if they don't tuck it away for an emergency and they use it for non-essentials, they could be worse off. In the end, Carolyn and Ricky agree that the strategy for long-term financial well-being is to pair saving together with building up a good credit score. When we talk about pursuing opportunity, really people pursue opportunity with access to credit. It's a student loan. It's a mortgage. It's a loan to start a business. When we talk about pursuing opportunity, credit is critical. It's really important to save. It is obviously, if you're in a jam and your car breaks down, the best option is that you can pull from your savings. 
but you also want to pay attention to your credit, especially if you're looking to make an asset purchase. Because if you think about a home, you need a down payment, but you also need a good score to get a good interest rate. So it is the pairing that we look for of saving and credit building that can make such a difference. So in sum, it takes both access to credit and a good nest egg for people to pursue their bigger dreams and stay on the path to financial well-being. As usual, we'll close with some key takeaways. One, it's important to have a buffer in case of emergencies. Even just $250 in savings can keep a family above water when faced with sudden financial shocks. Two, building a strong credit score is a process that's open to everyone, regardless of your income level. It takes opening up a line of credit from a loan or credit card and then making sure to regularly pay off the amount and stay under 30% of your total credit available. And three, the road to financial well-being requires both saving money and building credit. So if you're planning to buy a home or a car, you'll need cash for the down payment and a good credit score so you can get a better interest rate on your loan. So that's our show. Thanks again to Ricky Lowitz and Carolyn Ratcliffe. And check out our show notes for more information about Working Credit NFP and Carolyn's research. If you like the show, tell your friends. We love your support and need your help connecting us to other smart, policy-minded folks out there. And a simple request from us, please just jump on iTunes or your podcast player and take a few minutes to rate the podcast. We won't say no to five stars and it helps get the word out there about this podcast. Big thanks to our producer, Kate Villarreal, to our editor, Riley Byrne, and to Katie Smith for all her help. Our theme music is by Moby. For everyone on the Critical Value team, this is Justin Milner signing off.